The following is a presentation of the Speed Sport Podcast Network. They're tangling in the back of the pack. Here they come on four. Kyle Busch won the season opener at Talladega. DeGroote was second. He's the reigning champion. It's the iRacers download. Cardwell hoping it stays green. He nearly spins it around. Who's it going to be, Cardwell, Berkeley, or someone else? Where reality meets the virtual world of auto racing. iRacing's executive director, Dale Earnhardt Jr. I think that NASCAR is starting to see the value and the opportunities that can present themselves working with iRacing. Presented by Crosley. Amplify your style. Here are your hosts, Taylor Burris and Justin Prince. Welcome to another edition of the iRacers Download on the Speedsport Podcast Network presented by Crosley Radio and on NASCAR Digital Media. I'm your host, Taylor Burris. Alongside me is our two wonderful hosts that we have on the show, Justin Prince, and of course, none other than Mr. F4 Speed himself, Blake McCandless. Gentlemen, first and foremost, we are literally one week away before we kick off another exciting season of eNASCAR Coca-Cola competition, as well as also NASCAR competition in the real world. It's great to see that we see the virtual and real world come together to kick off what we all love to see, and that is, of course, NASCAR racing at its finest at the high banks of Daytona. Absolutely, and when it comes to Daytona International Speedway, for some, it's been considered for years, seeing the action there in the springtime of the road course racing. That is the start of the official schedule for rear world racing in motorsports. But in turn, you have to keep in mind for many years, since the 1980s, technically, go, go back to since Riverside used to be the first race at one point. It's been the pinnacle of the start of Star Car Point Pain Racing. And while that's changed a bit now with the clash at the Coliseum, at LA Coliseum, in turn, a lot of the big teams in technical alliances, virtually in the real world, they are going to have an excitingly busy time to prepare for the super speedway because, to say the very least, you want to win at Daytona. You want to win the real world there. You want to win in the virtual world there at the biggest stage, under the big lights, in front of the big crowds. Certainly so, and and Justin, to play off of that point, I think everybody wants to win there, but this is an opportunity for a lot of these drivers to kind of establish themselves in this series, you have a lot of drivers who maybe struggled at the end of last season and, and didn't really get the runs they felt that they deserved. Guys like Derek Justice, who fell back down through the ladder and are back into the series. This is their opportunity to start off the season on a good note. It's it's always great when you can go to Daytona and start off the campaign with a top five or a top ten, a really solid points effort, because obviously that's a springboard into what, I, I guess some drivers in the series, both in the real world, uh, consider the the real season starts after Daytona. But it's always good to have a leg up uh, after the first race and, and get those valuable points that, you know, we, we don't have many until the playoffs start. You know, there's only 14 races in the regular season. So it's a very short regular season. Every single one of them counts. And it always ha- you always have a good feeling when you can leave Daytona uh, and looking forward to the rest of the year uh, with a little bit of points in your back pocket. It certainly is, gentlemen, and of course, we saw a lot of great things from the clash, both in the virtual and in the real world. A little bit of controversy and for some of the instances in both sides of racing, but overall, we could see the progressiveness of these next-gen cars, and we're really going to get a first-hand look of how these cars are going to react at the high banks of Daytona. But I think the big question all of us are going to be like asking is, what could we see when we get to more 
driver tracks such as the mile and a half, as well as the other short tracks that we're accustomed to seeing on the NASCAR schedule, excluding, of course, the L.A. Coliseum. Yeah, that's the big question I think for a lot of the people still, Taylor, is how are they going to be able to find the speed? How are they going to be able to adapt? Because, again, talked about this a little bit in terms of some of the action, in terms of some of the broadcasts recently, too. You essentially have to reprogram yourself to learn what you may have learned prior to the 2019 updates to the aero package to the NASCAR Cup Series cars when it became more so about throttle control rather than letting the car roll in the corner, brake control also factored in. There's so much differences compared to high horsepower, low downforce to what's essentially now higher horsepower and lower downforce in turn. So you have to factor that on in. And in turn, if you're not any of the, if you're one of the drivers, I should say, who are looking to make a run realistically for a championship, you need to learn how to drive the car in fast. You need practice time. And each of the teams, they've set it over some of the action. Some of them are already focusing ahead to that second week to be able to learn that because knowing how to drive that will be so critical with the shorter race distances, but also to be able to actually perform well there because you don't want to end up being the one guy on lap one, turn three at the second race of the campaign who goes in full throttle and then realizes this car's not going to stick in loops and around for the first caution flag of the night. You don't want to be that one, Blake. No, you don't. And, you know, this is what was so great uh, about the event. We were able to attend this past Monday, uh, talk about the Monday Night Racing Championship. We'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, but I, I got to talk with a couple of these drivers just kind of hanging out at the event. Michael Conti, uh, Nick Ottinger, Casey Kerwin, a couple of drivers uh, that we've had on the podcast before. And, you know, they were very optimistic about the season and some of the changes that are coming with this car, obviously changing over uh, to the 670 horsepower package. And, you know, that that's a very, you know, talking to those guys, that's a very welcome change for somebody like Michael Conti. I think he was telling me, you know, there are just three guys that have been around in this series as long as I have uh, when I first entered that are still here. And that's Ray Alfala, him, and I believe Nick Ottinger, even I think Logan Clampett's a year behind him. Uh, but they're, they're all so excited that they feel like this change when you talk about kind of moving away from Daytona and getting to some of these tracks where, you know, this car is, is really, really tough to handle. We've seen it in the testing in the real world, uh, the lack of side force in this car, how, how it likes to spin on corner exits, sometimes out of nowhere, where you're really driving it on a knife's edge. And the drivers that I've talked to have all welcomed and embraced that. So obviously we'll get a good show at Daytona. Uh, the, the cars are going to put on a great show. We saw it in the test a couple of weeks ago uh, down at Daytona Beach, how these cars handle on a super speedway. Don't think Daytona is going to be any different when we get to Tuesday night. Uh, but also, these drivers are really embracing the challenge of you know driving on the knife's edge that this uh, new car uh, provides a, a very unique challenge. And to quickly jump on that as well, keep in mind as well, if you look towards the forums, the hints towards what's expected now have been very prominent. If you look hard enough, you can find a lot of important details that you need to know. You mentioned the lack of side force, for example, with the design of the car. You can't so much as just yell it out, yell out the car in terms of the setup, because that doesn't work compared to, say, the Gen 6 car, which had a ton of side force. So it's not apple to apple. It's more so apple to onion, just about. Never heard of that combination before. I've always thought of apples to oranges, but hey, we'll do onions tonight here on the iRacers download. Absolutely different. 
<laughs> it is. But but you guys are absolutely right. There's still a lot of unknowns going into the 2022 season in both sides when it comes to motor racing in the NASCAR Cup Series. And I think a lot of these drivers are going to have a lot of work to do along with their teams as well as their developmental teams to get ready for this uh, difficult but yet amazing challenge of taking on a new car that we have really no clue how it's going to work. Because as we know, especially in the world of iRacing, gentlemen, this car went through a couple of changes. You know, it was released middle of 2021 where we got to at least see what the car was like. And then, of course, late in 2021, early 2022, it made another change where we got the most updated, of course, specs for this car that's closely related to what we see now in the NASCAR Cup Series in 2022. Yeah, and to jump back towards that point, absolutely, Taylor, it's important to note that could be in constant flux throughout the season because as more data is picked up from the real-world racing action, potentially, as things are learned and then forced upon to unlearn so to speak there's a lot that can be in fluctuation and it's not just with the e-nascar coco i racing series those who are qualifying on in you have to keep this in mind taylor there's actually been a different body for the trucks this year right where you have to consider those bodies will eventually come to i racing and if they come in during the e-nascar roach pro qualifying i racing series in its first or second round you may or may not have to relearn everything again there, too. So in our words, if you're anywhere on the oval side, you're essentially into a spinning wheel of having to keep up and learn. There's the mindset from somewhere, if you're always busy, you know, preparing and trying to learn, that you'll never fall behind. But it's also, at the same time, hard to keep that in mind when you have so much to consider and the chance that everything could be reset at the snap of a button can be coming into play. Because it's simple as, remember, the next-gen car had a much different package for much of its iterations on the platform. Got harder and harder for drivers to drive as it got updated with the iterations. And now, it's a matter of finding out, especially on the super speedway side to start. But also, once we get to speedways, who's been able to learn quick enough? And who's able to keep up? With craziness that could be coming up in the next few weeks it certainly will be but we'll have to take a little bit of a better look when the season kicks off of course on tuesday that will be february 15th starting at 9 p.m you can catch the action of the e-nascar coca-cola iRacing series as they kick off their season debut of a new championship once again a new car with the next gen cars and of course a lot of new up and coming drivers coming aboard through the 2022 season catch all of it on all of iRacing and e-nascar streaming platforms but now i think it's time that we have to talk about the, one of the biggest things that have happened in the world of iRacing, and it has to go back to this past Monday night, as it is Monday Night Racing, presented by Rowdy Energy Drink, the of course, the Market Rebellion season finale at the Charlotte Esports Hub, home of the Charlotte Phoenix, which is a new team for the eNASCAR Coca-Cola iRacing series. Myself and Blake McCandless were there, and Blake, I gotta say, the atmosphere was one that no one will ever forget for a long time as history was made in the Queen City herself in Charlotte, North Carolina. And that's certainly the case, Taylor. I, I know I was fortunate enough to be able to go. Uh, very appreciative to Ford Martin and, and everybody at Monday Night Racing for the invite. And being able to show up and, and see these drivers really go through uh, a pressure that 
if you're a sim racer, you just haven't really had often before. You think about the fact that these guys, uh, you had your fourth championship drivers, you had about 15 others that were competing in the race as well, but obviously uh, out of contention for the series championship. They got to race in front of a packed house, and it was a packed house. Tickets were sold, standing room only. A lot of people came out to support this event. And being able to, to see these guys face a pressure, they got lights on them, they got banners with their names on them, uh, they're, they're dropping beads of sweat on the stage, you're having crashes happen and you get to physically hear a crowd react to it. Uh, that was one thing I, I know I spoke with Justin Malillo and a couple other drivers after they stepped out. And, you know, that's just something that as a sim racer you don't get. You're, you're sitting in your house usually most of the time. Uh, maybe you have somebody in the house with you, but oftentimes they're not reacting exactly to what you're doing. So being able to kind of hear the roof get uh, pushed off the place by all the noise and, and the fanfare of it all and, and how important of a race it was, uh, I, I was thoroughly impressed. And, and I think that this is going to be uh, laying a foundation in the future, Taylor, uh, that that I, I think we're going to have to emulate uh, in other series like the like the Coke series, like the Porsche eSports Super Cup. I, I think that that is where we're headed with this and that this was a great uh, test of that to see if the idea worked. I was blown away by the atmosphere. I had a great time. I met a lot of people. Uh, I, I don't know one person who was in attendance that night, and there were a lot of them, that did not enjoy that experience. Uh, a, a great social gathering, and I, again, I think it's a catalyst for what the future might look like for sim racing and that these events are going to be very important uh, to helping the, the hobby and the activity, the series, uh, all combined growing uh, as we look to the future. Let's talk about this. Of course, the four championship drivers that were competing for the Monday Night Racing Championship finale presented by Market Rebellion was the following. You had, of course, Colin Fern, a person who works in the business of NASCAR with Brandon Built Motorsports and works with that team in some capacity. So not a professional race car driver, but not also a hobbyist sim racer, but someone who's been in the business. Then, of course, you have NASCAR Xfinity Series driver Ryan Vargas, who races in the car and track of choice that was chosen for the season finale, the Xfinity cars at Auto Club. So a lot of eyes were pointed towards Ryan Vargas taking home that championship because of his home track advantage, as well as also the car. It's an Xfinity car, which he usually drives every time he we've seen him out competing in NASCAR. You had, of course, David Shieldhouse, who is a truck series spotter, along with a streamer and avid sim racer who's been streaming since the, or sim racing since the 90s. And then, of course, you have someone such as Adam Cabot, who is just a hobbyist, who loves sim racing because he finds it fun and something fun to do. And when you put those four together, you have four different walks of life. And it was amazing to watch these drivers battle it out for 85 laps, only one caution at the very beginning, and see the different strategies that go into play to where Adam Cabot would take home the checkered flag, or not? maybe not winning the race, but winning the championship. And I got to say, watching those four battle, I, when and like you were there when you probably heard this, when we saw David Shieldhouse and Adam Cabot go locking horns, blocking each other on the front straightaway and back straightaway, you could hear the crowds, ooh, ah, like just all of the emotions going into it. You really felt like this is a moment none of us will forget. 
Absolutely not. I, I think the crowd was invested into it emotionally. You can see the drivers' reactions in front of you. Uh, I, I know personally, and I, you, you brought up a really great point, Taylor. We only had one caution this race, so I think we've also proven that when you get people in the same room, and you know, you may have to face the guy that you wreck. Maybe guys are going to drive a little bit cleaner uh, throughout the race than when, uh, obviously, you're usually competing and they're off somewhere else, you know, across the state or across the country or across the world. Uh, so it, I think it was interesting to see the difference in, uh, in racecraft uh, when you finally put everybody in the same room. But you're exactly right. I, I think being able to react to that crowd. I know Colin Fern uh, brought it up specifically uh, after the event. He overshot his pit stall on pit road, trying a strategy call and just being able to hear the gasp and, and look at his reaction and know that he could hear everybody. You know, usually when you make a mistake in sim racing or or even if you're in the cockpit of a real life race car, you can you can throw your fist at the steering wheel. You kind of have your own space to be able to handle that. But here in this public setting, you get to feel that crowd reaction. You get to hear it. You get to see it. So it was unlike some anything that I've ever seen before. And I, and I think you brought up a great point as well. Uh, the different walks of life uh, for sim racing, I think that's what made it a great event as well, that you know it doesn't take people that have been doing this for a long time or are really well-versed uh, in the service to be able to compete like this. We had drivers of all skill levels go out and, and really able to enjoy a special evening. It certainly was. And actually, I want to bring in our producer, Mr. Richard Colbreth, in on this. Richard, you are also there in person. As someone who's been in the business of motor racing, what was your thoughts regarding this whole scenario and event? I got to tell you, it was an interesting awakening for me I, I had no idea that so many people were into the to the to the i racing scene so when i got there i was like wow i mean here's you know you got the the lights going everywhere it was sort of like a uh, I, I guess i date myself when i say it was kind of like a disco but it's more like a like a rock concert with the with the uh the things on the stage you had the the simulators on the stage for the top four guys and then when the caution came out you had the the yellow light you know, that just went all over the place and then when it went back to green then you had green lights go everywhere it was just it was a neat scene and just so many people were so well into that and I, I got to tell you, I, I was baffled at, at just the amount of people that were there. Certainly was. Justin, of course, you were there as far as even though you couldn't be in Charlotte at the time, you were a part of the broadcast itself with helping the pit reporters out there to help find the information. What was your thoughts on watching the race and seeing the environment from a TV perspective for those who are watching through YouTube and Twitch? When it comes to this type of event, it is worth noting when it comes to the broadcast side, it was pretty rocky, I will say. A lot of growing pains is the best way to put it when it comes to that setup, because you have to consider when it comes to podium side of things and when it comes to the event facility like this, this is essentially the first major in-person event. Podium's really done. And in turn, there's a lot that, from a producer's side, from a team side, from everywhere side, that I think they could take a lot from. From what I can tell, though, I will say, and based on what you've said, and based on what I was able to pick up on, the in-person environment was pretty decent and stellar, where it definitely kept fans on their feet and entertained when things intensified for the final 30 laps or so of the finale. And there's a lot to learn. I will say, but I will also say there's a lot to be able to go up from here from, especially with the potential launching pad this could create 
if you're able to essentially use that space as a major hub for the United States for special events, not just with Monday Night Racing, but any major type of run. Could see eNASCAR think about that possibly in the future. Could see other organizations based around the Charlotte area or in the East Coast say, let's have our finale in Charlotte. It opens up that possibility if you're able to learn from the mistakes and be able to grow. That's going to be the key thing. It certainly is. Of course, we have to see a lot of different things happening, but I have a feeling that the team over at Monday Night Racing will be able to accomplish that in due time, and we will see some possibly great things come out of that series when they kick off their next season later on in 2022. A couple of other points that were happening, of course, across the new world of iRacing. Of course, big announcement as far as a new world championship coming aboard to the world of iRacing as we're going off-road racing. No, not Rallycross, but the Pro 4 trucks will be getting their own iRacing world championship. $25,000 on the line for the champion of that. And guys, I think it's about time that we saw this style of racing now be added as part of the banner of world championships it's a great opportunity. We've been seeing a lot of different things coming out of that side of the iRacing world with the off-road trucks, such as, of course, the iRacing Short Course Series. You have Jim Beaver with his series that he hosts quite a lot often also that you see on CBS and other platforms. It's great to see that this form of racing will be back in a world championship manner coming to iRacing later on in 2022. And my main thought on that, Taylor, is I'm surprised it wasn't sooner because since those trucks were brought to the service in that type of racing, it's been very tight-knit. But it's also been where some of the top drivers on the entire platform in that type of racing are the real-world drivers who do race those types of machines. They are quick at a lot of the big tracks. And in turn, I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of the real-world drivers make a run if they're able to accommodate the schedule with the real-world racing to be able to make a run to the world championship. There's a reason when you look at the iRacing short course series and its national series level that some of the top drivers in the point standings are some of the top young guns when it comes to racing. Plus, you also have those who have reward experience that can potentially pop in and make a run if they can set things on up. Take, for example, Sheldon Creed. He does a bit of sim racing. He's also got himself in proper position if he's able to fit time with the NASCAR schedule to be able to make a run. There's a chance we may see someone like that too. In our words, if you're iRacing, you're thinking this is a great chance to showcase the best of both worlds, virtually and real world, in my opinion. It certainly does, and it's a great opportunity, and we look forward to seeing that happening later on this summer. Of course, they have to still do the qualifying to get those drivers to be able to have a chance to compete, and then, of course, the schedule will have to be released, which, by the sound of it, with them having a new schedule, it could mean a couple of things, possibility of maybe some new added tracks to the schedule for later on this year in 2022. But we look forward with much excitement ahead of that new world championship. Well, with that, we're going to take a quick commercial break. But when we come back, we got some more special things happening here in this episode of the iRacers Download. So we thank you for listening to this week or for listening to the iRacers Download on the Speed Sport Podcast Network presented by Crosley Radio and on NASCAR Digital Media. Welcome back to the iRacers Download on the Speed Sports Podcast Network presented by Crosley Radio and NASCAR Digital Media. I'm your host, Taylor Burst, back along with Justin Prince, Blake McCandless, and gentlemen, I think it's time that we take a little bit of a step behind the scenes on this episode. This week, with not a whole lot in the world of world championships have been going on, other than, of course, the Monday Night Racing. But one thing I do want to touch on and talk about, of course, 
is how all of us here in this room got involved with sim racing as well as our broadcasting side of things of sim racing. And I think it's a good opportunity for all of us to let our listeners know of how we got involved and what makes sim racing to us so unique and special in our day-to-day lives. And Justin, I kind of want to start off with you since you've been on the service for quite some time as well. What made you want to get involved with esports and, of course, what you're well most known for in the cross iRacing, esports broadcasting? Well, the first thing when it came to joining iRacing was I remember seeing it pop up, I think it was on YouTube at the time, when I was, this is when I was 15 at the time, and seeing it, and I'm like, I've been wanting this type of experience for years. Again, I'm in high school at this point. So not many years at the time, but either way, I remember begging for weeks. Can I have this for my birthday? Can I have this for my birthday? Can you get me this for my birthday? It took a few weeks of grinding. Eventually got that in August of 2011. If you look back, that's when the account was made for my racing site. Ended up racing on a laptop that ran 10 frames per second. With an Xbox 360 wireless wheel, trying to use the mic through that wheel. By the way, that doesn't work properly. It cuts in and out. And in turn, remember at one point, I think my safety rating was as low as a 0.96 in the rookie class. You know how hard that is to get to a 0.96 as a rookie? But in turn, had to step away from that because... And family realized how much that was. But in turn, eventually came back to racing once I was able to make enough income to be able to pay for my own subscription and my own equipment in 2014, 2015-ish, and have raced for a majority of the year since then at various different levels with various different technical alliances. And the funny thing is when it comes to the broadcast side is... One of the main reasons I wanted to get into sim racing announcing was the nearest racetrack to where I'm at for pavement racing, for asphalt racing, short track action. Three hours, both ways. Whether you cross the U.S. border and go over to Flat Rock, or you go two to three hours to Delaware Speedway near London, Ontario. And my thought was, if I can't get to a racetrack and gain experience, why not get it from the virtual side? Because I remember the first broadcast I ever seen for iRacing side was the crazy and bonkers finish that year with Watkins Glen with a chipmunk sounding Evan Pasoko on the call as lead of the time. And my thought at the time was, this is where I want to be. This is the level I want to be at. So I remember making a forum post, right? On the initial iRacing forums before their current iteration. And the funny thing is with that too is one of the first responses was from Dougie Beard, who is now one of the top camera builders on the platform. At the time, he focused mainly on GSRC camera development. And he's like, why not reach out to us? And that's kind of where it started. Did some work with GSRC a few times a month. Eventually led to an opportunity with Spot when they started hiring back at the start of 2018-ish. And I look, let's put it this way on top of things as things have progressed. You learn a lot by calling race after race after race. Because in the early going, I will say I was rough. But you learn that, that 
every technique that seems to work in repetition in terms of patterns and learn the driving styles of competitors, not just by racing against them, but just being able to call race with them. And the main thing that people don't realize is with the work I do in the real world, a lot of the stuff I learned from the virtual side kind of helped me big time when it came to some of the roles I started doing in the real world too. Like, for example, first time I ever had IFB communication, which is basically you have your producer go through your ear while you're doing the announcing, maybe giving you a cue of a graphic coming up or saying, take a look at this replay or cut to a commercial break. First time I got that experience was with GSRC. It's a little different now. We'll have that via text, but it still is utilized at a lot of levels. You learn that it, learn, it helps so much in turn. And I remember something said at the time. This was in your league, actually, Taylor, because if you remember, I believe it was uh, the league. I can't remember the exact name. It was someone with the backing that was starting to build up, and Dave Moody was in the race, I think, for one of the nights. And he's like, and he, I remember him specifically saying that he felt like a lot of the people from the sim world have the talent to be able to perform at the same level and highest level in motorsports or something along those lines. And that kind of helped give that motivation. And it's taken a lot of years of experience and years of work to get to where I'm at, I'll be honest. And it's not easy to say the very least. But in turn, that amount of time and effort just was so helpful in turn to be able to get to where I needed to get to get my start in. And in turn, feed in off and off each other for the rise up. It's certainly a commendable thing that you've been able to do in the business of iRacing, Justin, and you are pretty much a well-known name when it comes to that. And we appreciate all the hard work that you put into this series and the sim racing. And we can only imagine what you have in store for 2022 with your career, mm -hmm. both in broadcasting as well as also in virtual racing. And I now want to turn over to Blake and Blake, you know, known you for a few years also here on the service, but what made you want to get involved with iRacing? I think it was just the fact that like anybody else out there who uh, views this as a hobby, you just want to do it for fun. Um, you know, I wasn't very much of a video gamer, I guess, growing up. I didn't really play a whole lot of things, but, you know, generally favored things that are centered around sports and racing. And again, I think this is why racing and, and I racing and sim racing in general is just so immersive Think of any game that you play, whether it's any popular uh, eSport out there like Rocket League or, or really just anything, Call of Duty, doesn't really matter. There is nothing, I think, that is more immersive in eSports than sim racing. Because when you're, when you're playing Madden, you're pressing a button and you're throwing a football. Or, you know, you're, you're playing Rocket League and you make your car jump by pressing a button. In sim racing, you get the steering wheel, you get the pedals if you have the capability, which... Uh, those uh, pieces of equipment aren't very difficult to find, and you get to take part in something that is closer to the real-life activity than anything else that you could participate in. So that's really what just drew my interest to it. I grew up in a racing family. Uh, my grandfather uh, was a drag racer back in the 1960s and 70s, so it's something I've just always had a passion for as a fan and, uh, of course, like anybody else out there, it was just a general curiosity of racing. And, and that's all it was. And I think that's what it is for most people. It's just a hobby. It's not, it's not really anything more. It's 
just a way to have fun and and be able to meet other people, grow in a community, have a group of friends that you know you can go go run hosted races with every night. I think that's what everybody's looking for, and, and just to see the steps that it's taken in, in roughly ten years or so to where. I never thought I would have a broadcasting career. I, w I went to school for sport management and uh, thought that that was going to be it, and I was just going to be working somewhere behind the scenes, uh, you know, with some type of sporting facility or in business in general. And just having fun and doing this for a hobby and getting involved in broadcasts that, you know, you never thought w would amount to anything. You know, I'd, I'd watch a race that's taking place for 10 people and play MRN for a night, you know, and just pretend that I'm living out this dream. And that's really all it was for several years. And, and just to see how far the platform has come, obviously COVID was a game changer because so many uh, people were left, uh, you know, locked in their house. The industry turned to iRacing to kind of scratch that itch uh, before we could get things going back again. And just a matter of timing and luck and, and whatever you want to call it, just being involved in the right activity at the right time and to see all the attention it garnered and the people it brought in from the industry, it's it's something that, um, you, you know, I've been really fortunate to, to make a lot of great friends on here and, and meet a lot of people who have, you know, helped me even think that a career in real life broadcasting is even possible. I mean, even up to a year ago, I would say the odds were pretty slim, and they still are. Uh, but it, it's cool to see that from that uh, just kind of genuine place of, I just want to go do something for fun and be able to meet people and race with people uh, as a community uh, to see what it's grown into has been really special. And I think anybody out there, uh, if you listen to this podcast, you're, you're probably a sim racer yourself. But if you're not, uh, just having that genuine curiosity and wanting to find out what what do these guys go through? Can I compete at, at that type of level? And, of course, racing is an activity where you really never reach perfection. You're always striving to be better, uh, especially if you're a hyper-competitive person like myself. Um, so I, I, that I, to anybody out there who, who's not involved, I think that's the best thing about it is the immersion. It's closer to anything else that you can get to. And, and who knows, with all the attention – all, all these companies that invest in sim racing now, whether it's you know companies like Coca-Cola who sponsor the top series on the platform, all this money on the line, I think it shows that the trajectory of this uh, this hobby uh, isn't slowing down, and I, I think that's a real positive. And again, I'm just lucky to to be a part of it. And to quickly latch on to the pandemic point as well, quickly too, Blake. That's kind of where I think a lot of people started to really take things. Seriously, because before it was more the side thing, right? For a lot of people, I I'll be quite honest. Before the pandemic, went two or three broadcasts at most on the sim per month, and then March happened because at the time it was a vast majority of my schedule was real world broadcasting. When the pandemic hit, all of that shut down, and then the phone calls started happening for the sim world. By the end of April, I, the total was somewhere around 30 to 40 broadcasts in the span of 30 days alone. Last year alone, since then, and this is still building off the momentum built from that one year, was more than 300 broadcasts virtually alone, not including the 30 or 40 real-world ones that happened after sports started coming back in Canada. So, so much you have to consider as built up from all of that to open opportunities and open eyes to people from the real world 
to watch the virtual world because I think that's what caught a lot of people's eyes. You had a lot of the broadcasters from the real world do virtual races, and lots of them, in turn, have showed their support and stayed about and really expanded their roots into esports. Parker Quigman, for example, you have experience with Blake. Good example of that. Keep this in mind as well. One of the racetracks I now work with is that one I mentioned at Delaware Speedway. Reason I got the opportunity, sim racing. Because of the experience there in the people from the track watching the broadcast of the time. Opportunities started coming in for the real world stuff this year, this year for short track racing. Just didn't fit schedule wise. Where'd that come from? The sim racing side. Because they had seen me in the broadcast and also knew I worked at Delaware Speedway. So that's that's pivotal in turn to be able to put yourself in front of a larger audience. And that's one of the main selling points, I think, is if you want to make a run, why not showcase that you cannot only just not you cannot only work in the real world, but also put yourself in front of a, a audience in the virtual world. Oh, a hundred percent. And I and I think that when you know, a lot of these calls come and there are people that are interested uh, in your broadcasting. That's what you can say. Um, obviously, I, I mean, I know people, broadcasters that I went to school with. I didn't go to school for broadcasting. So, again, this wasn't something that, that I was planning on doing, but I, I know people who did. And when the the pandemic happened, all of their work, kind of the lower level, mid-major colleges, uh, that type of level, minor leagues that they were calling, all of that completely went away. The only sports that did come back were major sports like, you know, the NBA, NASCAR, things like that. So, uh, and like you said, I was busy myself. I started doing work with Speed Shift TV. They viewed iRacing as a way to keep their subscribers uh, on before they changed to Flow Racing that they could put on iRacing events and that would justify uh, charging customers with a subscription so they could at least see some form of racing. And I think it's it's a great way to build experience to make all the mistakes you would make as a young broadcaster. I mean, think about this. I, I became the the announcer at Ace Speedway this year in Altamaha, North Carolina. And looking at the schedule here, you know, we probably we have anywhere from 10 to 15 races that we're going to do for an entire year. Um, that's 10 or 15 nights, maybe 16 if it's kind of a two-day event. And, and that's all you get for an entire season of work working at a racetrack. That's all you get. You get one track, you get a couple different classes of cars, and that's it. When you look at iRacing, I could be calling a late model race at Hickory Motor Speedway one night. I could call Cup Series cars at Talladega the next night. So the, the diversity of experience that you get, I, I think, is something that uh, the industry will catch up to uh, as we continue to go forward. I know uh, speaking with Winston Kelly about this topic, uh, and like you were saying earlier with Dave Moody, that there's been a, a different attitude towards people who, who get that experience in the, in the sim racing world and to see that there's so much parallel and crossover uh, between the two and that if you have a voice, if you have a drive, if you have... Uh, the talent to do it in the real, in the sim world that that can carry over uh, to the real world as well. So I know that's been a, a big selling point for my career is showcasing that you know I may this may be my first kind of foray into real life racing, announcing at a speedway, but I have years of hundreds uh, of broadcasts where you get to make all the rookie mistakes you make as a broadcaster. You repeat words. You you say stupid stuff. You know, it, everybody has those growing pains, but you get to do it in an envir a low-risk environment where you get to hone your skills and, again, perhaps catch the eye of somebody who's watching from the real world because there's just so much crossover there. 
Exactly. And I remember a lot of the confidence that I needed to build up, I will say, came in part because of all the work with the sim racing side. Remember, I used to, in the real world, be shaking like a leaf before some of the broadcasts early on in my career. Now it's second nature. And it helps when you have that repetition in front of the on large audiences each and every day and each and every week for some. But for you, Taylor, we haven't gotten the chance to ask you how you got your start when it came to sim racing and in, in broadcasting because we originally met in 2017 through a league we were referred to that you had started that featured drivers like Ryan Lee, Reed, the number zero car, I believe, was in reference. I forget who even drove it on, no offense to said driver that year. There's a lot of talent that you've had connections with in the past. It certainly has, and it really, it all started back in Orlando, Florida. I was uh, at the PRI show uh, when it came to Orlando for that one year back in 20, I would have to say 2012, and we were there to promote a new racing series. Unfortunately, it didn't come to fruition, but behind us was, of course, none other than the iRacing booth, and I was, you know, someone who has always been fascinated and had a blast with racing games from Gran Turismo to the NASCAR games of EA Sports deck era and just always had a fun with doing it, being involved with motor racing for most of my life. So I, I started trying it out and I tried it out so much that the entire booth of the of that iRacing booth behind us, China, was like, no, you can't keep coming back here. You need to go somewhere else. <laughs> but um. Uh, after that, after a while, I saw the first, of course, World Championships events that, of course, drivers such as Ray Alfala, you know, Richard Towler, uh, Lewandowski, and all of them were competing in before it became this mega event that we now see as the eNASCAR Coca-Cola iRacing Series. So uh, around 2012, I got my first subscription. I bought me a brand new steering wheel and pedal, and away I went. And it took some years of learning, thinking, you know, oh, I could do this. I mean, I've done Gran Turismo and other stuff, and those can sometimes be difficult because of the settings, but it's nothing compared to what iRacing is. I mean, it's no longer racing against AI. It's racing against real people. And watching how you progress through the ranking system of iRacing was a big eye-opener in learning that. Now, down the road, of course, I came across some good friends, such as uh, Ray Black Jr., who we were able to work together and build this somewhat of a decent esports league back uh, back in 2017 which is where i met of course justin and found my way through there came across some other friends such as uh, uh mr andy delay who is a part of the speed sport podcast network with his show burning rubber radio and also was able to get into broadcasting through that was able to showcase my talent reach out to justin and my first broadcasting gig with esports was through gsrc and mm. learning the business through GSRC with Joe Peak and Sean Ambrose was a major help for me to hone my skills because it opened the door for me to do real-life broadcasting with the SCCA, which is phenomenal to do. But one of the things I've noticed after growing and working with the t driving and sim racing is the ability of how much that can be applied to real-world driving, just not just on the course public roads, but also in the race cars. I've had a chance just to get behind the wheel of a couple of cars in my life and just to know the differences and knowing what to do is a big help to be able to learn and study the tracks. And also when it comes to broadcasting in real life, going to tracks such as Sebring, Virginia International Raceway, Circuit of the Americas, when you grace on these simulated versions of the tracks in the virtual world, 
you can almost give a more in-depth knowledge about the track and especially depending on the cars that you're actually raining around and racing with to be able to say hey you know take an mx5 miata or a cup car when a car gets loose in a certain section you can actually agree and know that that driver is struggling because of that corner over there and of course it's just wonderful to see how that is able to come about with iRacing. And I've had the pleasure of working with a lot of great people, uh, such as the people over at Legacy Esports and now working over with Team Hype. And now we're also working with Podium, which was a major step in my broadcasting career, working with some very well-known people in the business. And as along with Blake said, and you, Justin, it opens the door for other people to approach you and be like, hey, We've seen your talents with Podium or with GSRC, and we would like to put you to use to see what you can do. And it's an amazing opportunity to see that happen to where we could be able to showcase our talents. And in a sense, if you think about it, we know some people who had to go through schooling, training that takes years. While for some of us, it's taken years, but we've done it, taught ourselves, self-taught and help from our colleagues that we've worked with over the years. And it's been amazing to see, especially since the pandemic, of how much esports not just iRacing but esports in general has grown to a multi-million multi-billion dollar industry now of how many people want to get involved and i can only imagine what the future holds for it especially with the amount of talent that's coming into the racing world but also the broadcast world absolutely agree with you there's a lot of great upcoming talents and a lot of talent in turn i think that's going to be right on the doorstep and people knocking right on the door and saying I want to give you that big shot after seeing X clip or X broadcast. It just opens up those avenues, and it's so monumental to think about when it comes to all that as well. And in turn, opens up those opportunities to see how things can play out. It's going to be interesting how the future holds, I will say, especially when it comes to the broadcast side, I will say. There's a lot that can progress around in it. There's a lot to think about in the future. But I will say this. It looks bright when it comes to some of the opportunities. It's the question of, will it stay bright and for how long? I certainly agree with that. And, of course, we are looking forward to seeing what 2022 has to offer. And with that, it's time that we come to a close for another episode. But don't worry. We'll be back next week to talk about all things regarding, of course, the eNASCAR Coca-Cola iRacing Series op season opener at Daytona. Some other action happening this weekend as well. Of course, Podium Esports Podium 500 kicks off starting Friday, of course, with a lot of great racing with qualifying and also a lot more other things that are coming. Of course, also the Porsche Tag Heuer Esports Super Cup continues their championship rounds as they kick off this Saturday as well. Well, with that, it is time that we come to a close. For Justin Brent and Blake McCandless, our producer Richard Colbreth, I'm Taylor Burris. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the iRacers Download on the SpeedSport Podcast Network presented by Crosley Radio and NASCAR Digital Media.